Hello and welcome back to another episode of our Ephesians in August webcast. In this episode, we'll be walking through Ephesians chapter 1 verses 15 to 23, a section of Ephesians that's called Paul's prayer report. Here, Paul tells his readers how he's been giving thanks to God for them and the ways in which he's been praying for them. So without further ado, let's dive right in to this section of the letter to the Ephesians. I usually sleep very soundly. It helps that I can take my hearing aids out at night and not hear a thing. So it's not noise that wakes me up and keeps me up. It's the thoughts in my head. A co-worker of mine once said that this was the thought parade that goes through your head when you're trying to sleep. The thought parade is most active when something new or significant is happening the next day. For instance, if I'm starting to teach a new group of students on a certain day, I typically don't sleep well the night before. Now, there are many possible solutions to the thought parade that goes marching through my mind. I could wake up and start to parse some Greek verbs. That would certainly put me back to sleep. But there's a better way to handle this. This co-worker who coined this expression told me that prayer is the best way to deal with the thought parade. So I turn these thoughts to prayer and I lift these matters to God, whether it be a a sermon that I'm stuck on, or a person in my church that I'm concerned about. A short, simple prayer to God about the particular item in the thought parade takes that matter from your mind and places it at the feet of God, and this is a tremendous relief. Not that it removes it completely from my hands, but it helps until the next day when you can get up and do something about the situation. Ephesians chapter 1, 15 to 23 is a prayer, or more accurately, it is a prayer report. Paul is reporting to the Ephesian Christians the content of his prayer for them. While I can't be certain that Paul ever experienced the thought parade when he was trying to get some sleep, this passage does suggest that his prayers for the Ephesians were continuous in Ephesians 1.16, we read, I have never stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. Throughout Paul's letters, we catch a glimpse of his pastor's heart as he assures his reader that they were always on his mind and in his prayers. Fortunately for us, the Apostle Paul still pastors God's people as his words span across time and space and speak to us today. His pastoral prayer for the Ephesians is for us as well. Paul begins his prayer report in typical fashion by giving thanks to God for his readers. So offering thanks to God is an important part of intercessory prayer along with the worship of God, which is taken up in Ephesians 1, 3-14. The reason for Paul's continuous gratitude for the Ephesians is found in verses 15 and 16. 
Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for Christians everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. Faith and love are basic Christian graces, along with hope, which is mentioned in 118. Reflecting on this verse, John Stott writes, It is impossible to be in Christ and not find oneself drawn both to Him in trust and to His people in love. So, the Ephesians were doing pretty good. They had faith in Jesus and love for all God's people. Paul continues his intercessory port, however, which indicates that God had more work to do in their lives. I pray for you constantly, Paul writes, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. The various English translations offer different renderings of this phrase, Pneuma Sophias Kai Apocalypseos. For instance, it is not completely clear in the Greek text whether the word for spirit, pneuma, refers to the Holy Spirit or to a spirit of wisdom, divine and or human. But we shouldn't obsess over this translation question when the verse's essential message to us is very understandable. God is the source of wisdom and revelation. And the purpose of that spirit of wisdom and revelation is to bring us to a a greater knowledge of God. Wisdom is a meaningful biblical concept that could consume this entire lecture. So allow me to refer to Yoder Neufeld's simple definition. He defines it as insight into God's grace and how to live in light of it. In the context of Ephesians, wisdom is focused on God's activity in the world and our response to his benevolent plan. Apocalypsis or revelation is also a loaded term with many connotations, but it essentially means an unveiling or an uncovering of something that once was hidden. Ephesians makes it clear that God's revelation to humanity entails his intentions for humanity and the universe. Ephesians 1, 8-10 reads, With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will, according to the good pleasure that he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. God's ultimate plan to gather up all things in Christ is no longer a secret, but it has been revealed to us. Paul's prayer is that God would increase our awareness of this grand plan and we would live our lives in light of it. The granting of this spirit of wisdom and revelation is not an end in itself, but its goal is the knowledge of God. Concerning this knowledge, John Stott writes, The knowledge for which Paul prays for is more Hebrew than Greek in concept. It adds the knowledge of experience to the knowledge of understanding. More than this, it emphasizes the knowledge of Him, of God Himself personally. We all have knowledge of God. We've read the Bible, 
heard many sermons, read some theology books about God. But the question is, do we really know God? Listen carefully to Thomas Merton's words on knowing God. He writes in the book, What is Contemplation? There are so many Christians who do not appreciate the magnificent dignity of their vocation to sanctity, to the knowledge, love, and service of God. There are so many Christians who do not realize what possibilities God has placed in the life of Christian perfection, what possibilities for joy in the knowledge and love of Him. There are so many Christians who have practically no idea of the immense love of God for them and of the power of that love to do them good, to bring them happiness. Merton goes on to describe contemplation as intimately connected with the pure and perfect love of God, which is God's greatest gift to the soul. It is a deep and intimate knowledge of God by union of love. In verse 18, Paul goes on to describe God's act of giving insight to the Christian as the illumination of the eyes of the heart. This vivid phrase describes God's work of bringing light to the interior part of our being, our heart. In biblical thought, the heart, cardia, is not simply the blood-pumping organ in our chest or the source of our affections. It refers to the whole inner self, emotion, will, and understanding. When God illuminates the eyes of our heart, He is opening up the aperture of our innermost organ of perception, softening our hardened hearts, and dispelling the darkness. Again, God's work of illumination has the goal of knowing Him so that you can understand. Paul prays that our inner eyes would be open so that we might see, know, and understand the gracious work of God in our lives, past, present, and future. The content of the knowledge is explained in verses 18 to 19 in the Greek text, and it is expressed with three successive phrases, so that you might know what is, dot, 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 what is, dot, 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 what is. The first element that Paul wishes us to grasp is the wonderful future God has promised to those he had called, or as the Greek text expresses it, that we might know the hope of his calling. This phrase refers to the beginning of our Christian lives, but it also points to the wonderful future that God has planned for us. There is a great comfort in knowing that we are called by God. And God's invitation to us was neither random nor purposeless, as Ephesians 1.4 reminds us. Long ago, even before God made the world, He loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in His eyes. God's calling also looks to the future, since it is a call to hope. God's act of salvation gives us hope, and God's Spirit sustains it as we patiently wait for what we do not yet see. Ephesians 1.10 provides a glimpse of this hope by describing God's plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in Christ, things in heaven 
and things on the earth. Commenting on this verse, Yoder Neufeld writes, In light of a present reality so marked by evil, the image of gathering up all things in Christ is an inherently eschatological, hopeful image. The next item that Paul prays for is for us to know the rich and glorious inheritance God has given his people. Or as the Greek text literally says, the glorious riches of his inheritance among the saints. The phrase clearly points to the future, to what God has in store for his holy people. While the passage does not spell out exactly what this inheritance is, it is described as rich and glorious, increasing our awe as we contemplate it. I found John Stott's thoughts on this rich and glorious inheritance very helpful. He writes in his commentary, Exactly what it is, what it will be like, is beyond our capacity to imagine. So we shall be wise not to be too dogmatic about it. Nevertheless, certain aspects of it have been revealed in the New Testament, and we shall not go wrong if we hold fast to these. We are told that we shall see God and his Christ and worship him, that this beatific vision will be a transforming vision, for when he appears, we shall be like him not only in body, but in character, and that we shall enjoy perfect fellowship with each other. For God's inheritance will not be a private party for each individual, but rather among the saints, as we join the great multitude that no man could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne of the Lamb. Finally, Paul prays that we would know the incredible greatness of his power for us who believe in him. On the pathway between our calling and our inheritance, on our journey from its beginning to its glorious conclusion, God's immensely great power is acting within us. Admittedly, it's easy to feel powerless as individuals and as a church in the face of many great challenges. We all too easily forget that God exerts his surpassingly great power for us and in us. Paul piles up synonymous expressions and terms to describe God's power, energy, strength, and might. He piles all these up to give a, a clear sense of his awesome quality and character. But he goes even further in the verses that follow to describe God's power in terms of its public display in history. The same power that is working in Christian believers is what God exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead. It is the same power that God exercised when he seated or exalted Christ far above all powers, even the spiritual powers of darkness. It is the same power that God used when he gave Christ authority or made him head over all things for the sake of the church. The church is Christ's body, and it is filled by Christ who fills everything, everywhere, 
with his presence. This is the power of God at work in us who trust him. As we face challenges, disappointments, obstacles, and trials, let's not feel powerless. Rather, let's have the faith that God's incredible power will work through us as the church. So whenever we experience the thought parade in the coming days and weeks or months, let's remember Paul's prayer to the Ephesians. May God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we would really know him. May he give light to the eyes of our hearts so that we would really understand the wonderful things that he has done and is doing and will accomplish. May we recall the hope that marked the beginning of our journey with God and joyfully anticipate its glorious conclusion. From start to finish, may we know and experience God's life-giving, overcoming, and universe-filling power in our lives and in our church. Amen. This concludes Episode 2 of our Ephesians in August podcast. Tune in for Episode 3, which will deal with Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. Until that time, happy reading.